0: to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. We are now in Acts chapter 16. We are immediately following uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, who has added a man named Silas to his missionary team, and where they are set to begin a second journey. Paul plans to first return to the region of Asia Minor. It's called Galatia, uh, where many of the earliest churches had been uh, established, and uh, of course, we've, re- we've learned over the last couple months that these, these churches were founded through the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. Uh, their, their evangelism method... Their strategy was to first visit a Jewish synagogue, uh, declare Christ as Messiah, and uh, this continues to remain Paul's strategy as they move forward. When when he and whoever is on his team uh, enter into a new city, he he first engages the Jews, who historically uh, are familiar with the sacred writings, that would be at the local synagogue, and then they invite the surrounding or neighboring Gentiles and or Greeks, non-Jews, uh, to believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior of the whole world. Therefore, virtually all of these churches in Galatia consist of both Jew and Gentile uh, who have experienced similar social barriers as those which had hindered the full assimilation of Jews and Gentiles in Antioch. Uh, So there remain cultural and dietary distinctions between these Jews and Gentiles in Galatia. Uh, And for this reason, the same letter from the apostles, and, and that the Jerusalem council first delivered to Syrian Antioch, It also needs to be distributed amongst uh, all these churches in Galatia, uh, thus nurturing unity and peace between these two groups. Um, Every place needs the same news, okay? That's where we're at. This has made the addition of Silas a crucial ingredient... Paul's missionary team. You may recall that Silas, this is be back in Acts chapter 15, verse 22, he was described as a leading man in the Jerusalem church. Because of this, Silas was trusted and he was dispatched along with Paul and Barnabas, to go to Antioch uh, to attest to the authenticity of the letter and to the news uh, which had been decided by the apostles. Uh, Verse 32 also reveals to us that Silas was a gifted prophet. The title prophet there does not suggest that Silas went from place to place, you know, behaving as kind of a, a fortune teller with a crystal ball, and predicting the future for everybody he encountered. Uh, Instead, his title assures that Silas did what a prophet does. Uh, He spoke forth the word of God. The job of the prophet was to say, thus saith the Lord. Again, verse 32 had stated that in doing so, Silas encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. So as a prophet, Silas preached God's message. And since scripture took the initiative here to identify Silas as a prophet, it is essential for us to recognize the purpose of a prophet is not Fundamentally, you know, going around and telling individuals things that will happen to them in their future. But we, saw, we see this a lot today. Uh, there's a church will remain nameless south of us that uh, had brought all the children forward in the church. And uh, the, the prophet there had decided that he was going to announce to these young children uh, what their spiritual giftedness was. And what their career was going to be when they grow up. No kidding. And people pose as prophets. They dramatically lay hands on the young and the old, uh, detailing how God thinks you know, they are so uniquely important that God will do great things through them. God just can't move or work without you. Um, but folks, this is actually a brainwashing technique used today by false prophets. Uh, those who prophesy falsely are very skilled at manipulating the weak-minded with flattering speech to make that recipient of, of the prophecy you know, emotionally shackled to what it is that prophet had declared. Some will go through years or decades still stuck To something that someone had told them, still waiting for it to be fulfilled at some point. This is not right. Instead, a true prophet of God, like Silas, was profoundly gifted by the Holy Spirit for proclaiming the Word of God effectively. Normally with the whole congregation present and and accounted for together, so that the brethren could all be, quote, encouraged and strengthened together. And one final note, uh, this office or giftedness of prophet uh, was vitally important. Speaking forth God's message was vitally important prior to the formal completion of the New Testament. Yet none of Silas's words were so crucial that they appear anywhere in Scripture. Isn't that interesting? But Silas had been a witness to the proceedings at the Jerusalem Council and employing his spiritual giftedness of speaking forth God's word publicly, he will become crucial in assisting Paul uh, while they deliver Jerusalem's decrees to the churches throughout Galatia. Uh, This is one of the reasons that Paul chose Silas uh, near the end of chapter 15 as they departed Antioch. I have a map here just to catch us up. This will be the second missionary journey. Uh, they are going to depart where it's circled there, uh, Antioch, north of Jerusalem, and they're going to travel by land this time uh, to the west, stop through uh, Cilicia or Cilicia, uh, and then move on to Derby, which is just inside the boundaries of Galatia, and then they will make a new path around. Um, in chapter 16, the first church that they land at, at least in Galatia, to revisit is Derby. We're now in verse 1 of chapter 16. Paul came also to Derby. And to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were there in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took Timothy and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Well, there are three significant developments in this passage. Paul continues to add to his missionary team, number one. Uh, Secondly, Paul and Silas were also delivering, for the benefit of all these churches, those decrees issued by the apostles at the Jerusalem Council. And three, Paul and Silas were strengthening all the churches. And we will get around to discussing Timothy's circumcision as well, uh, but I believe that is best understood as incidental to the passage and for the purpose of accommodating Paul's outreach to the local Jews around uh, uh, Derby and Lystra and Iconium. This circumcision is not done to fulfill any theological convictions of Paul. Uh, Rather, the reason stated for the circumcision is the Jews in that region. So so there must have existed some some stumbling block that had made Timothy uniquely a target among the local Jews. We'll try to sort all that out before we leave today with a reasonable explanation. uh, Before we go home, But more importantly to us, the reason Paul wants Timothy on his team is because Timothy is already a disciple who had already gained a stellar reputation in the churches that had been planted in Lystra and Iconium. Verse 2 assures that Timothy was well spoken of by multiple churches. It's also necessary to point out how carrying with you a great reputation assigned by churches in the Christian community is sadly almost an abandoned practice today. You know, decades ago it was quite common uh, that a church would contact your previous congregation, before extending membership to you. Some churches that share a common denomination uh, do persist in this practice in our day. Uh, But over uh, roughly 10 years that I have been here, uh, I believe I've been contacted, I think, three times for a character reference. That doesn't include the one for Gerald. That would have been a fourth. Well, three times I've been contacted for a character reference and, and I felt obliged to respond each time. True story. On one occasion, I added a courteous red flag without adding specifics, just a marker, uh, just stating how the couple would not be accepted back into membership at our church. This was a good while back. Uh, I simply could not in good conscience allow them to replicate the problems that had begun here, at least without alerting that pastor. Um, The reference letter apparently got ignored. Two years later, I received a phone call from that church lamenting how the couple, now members at their church, were so in discord among the brethren there, repeating similar offenses. Uh, uh, on the call, I did not elaborate. I still had a copy of the letter. I pulled it out, just restated for them what I had said in my original letter. But the reality is that you know churches—they're so individualized today. We rarely share information one to another. Um, but the lack of people's concern for developing a good reputation has become alarming. But do you know what really leaped off the page at me while studying this passage? God really cares about the impression we make and leave in each and every church. We have been active. And God has a good memory, which he will employ on that day. I think you know what day I'm talking about. And regardless of what our culture practices, a good personal reputation is essential. And by declining the ministry application by Mark which had been submitted by Barnabas, Paul conveys that he doesn't just let anyone on his team. Silas was highly respected as a leading man in Jerusalem. And now Paul has become duly impressed by young Timothy. Timothy is about 20 years old at this point point. And he had spent his entire life growing up in Lystra. So the locals know him, and they like him. And this young man knows his scriptures. How? Well, because Timothy had a believing mother and a grandmother who cared enough to pour into him when he was young. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 5, we see Paul writes to Timothy, quote, I am mindful, writes Paul, of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I'm sure that it is in you as well, writes Paul. Then a couple chapters later, 2 Timothy 3:14. Continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, Lois and Eunice, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. If you have been a Christian for any length of time, You probably have already learned that this phrase describing Timothy from childhood, it literally means that Timothy had been immersed in the scriptures by Lois and Eunice since the time he was a nursing babe. That's what the term means, a suckler, one who suckles. Even though Timothy had a spiritually absent Greek father, who probably refused to allow Timothy's mother, Eunice, to circumcise him. Still, his mother and his grandmother had nursed Timothy in the sacred writings. They had therefore surely been taking Timothy from his earliest age to the local synagogue where the scriptures were always read. Folks, average people in that day did not typically possess personal copies of the Law and Prophets at home. Jewish believers went to the temple or the synagogue each and every week to hear the Scriptures read and explained and then to commit those weekly passages to memory. If you would like me to translate this to modern day. This indicates that Lois and Eunice brought Timothy to Old Testament church and did not delegate their own scriptural responsibility to any ministry program or pastor. Instead, they embraced... With a proper fear and reverence, God's command in Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he or she should go. Even when he or she is old, they will not depart from it. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 6, the Lord speaks to his people through his prophet Moses. So we have another Prophet, we'll see here what a prophet like Moses does, or like Silas, uh, who speaks God's message. quote, These words which I am commanding you today, says the Lord, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall take, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates, not on the church doorposts, your own house, your own home. The enduring legacy that Lois and Eunice deposited into Timothy, a man about whom Paul will later write these very words, this is eternally etched, in Scripture, by the way, Philippians 2, verse 19, preserved for our day, Paul tells the church in Philippi, it's not a person, it's a location. Paul tells the church in Philippi, quote, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. May I inquire with you as to what you are here for today? Why did you walk through the door this morning? Do you enter seeking after your own self-interests and not those of Christ Jesus? If so, you will continue to perpetually remain miserable Because we as Christians, like Christ our Lord himself, do not come to be served, but we come to serve others. And as our example, he laid down his life as a ransom to pay sins for the many. It's Mark 10, verse 45. If your life remains meaningless and your attitude is miserable, it is because you do not possess a genuine concern for others. Have you entered? And do you continue to enter Christ's beloved bride? This belongs to Christ. It's his. Do you enter and continue to enter Christ church, every week, possessing a genuine, righteous, and godly concern to surrender each day for the welfare of others. If so, each time you leave, you will depart filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And ultimately, those among us who are genuinely concerned for the care, the concern, the advancement, and the welfare of others, and thereby are seeking the interests of Christ, and not concerned with their own advancement or or preservation, they will be filled. They will overflow. With a likeness of Jesus. Through service, they will be conformed to him and his image. They'll look just like him. And they will be preceded, like young Timothy, by a good reputation wherever they go. One more question. If the Apostle Paul stopped through Port St. Lucie Bible Church and started filtering through ministry resumes to add somebody to his team, would he seriously consider choosing you? Would he consider choosing me? I know who he would ask for here. Well, no. he can't have him. Young Timothy. To see someone who serves the best interests of others, week in, week out, there's a man here with the same name, Timothy. I'd tell the Apostle Paul and Silas, you can't have him. Because he he leaves filled, he returns filled week in, week out. Romans 8.29 tells us, we have been predestined to be conformed to his image. Are we being conformed to the image of service? If not, no wonder we're so miserable in ourselves. Furthermore, Lois and Eunice are rewarded eternally by Christ in response to their own obedience to God's word and their faithfulness, which has been visibly manifest in Timothy. You know, Eunice, the mother, did not abdicate her spiritual responsibility uh, to some after-school function. You know, promising bounce houses and games and uh, cotton candy. With a little dash of Jesus sprinkled in there somewhere. As we progress into Acts chapter 16, deeper into this chapter, uh, we're going to see two complete households saved and transformed. And the pattern we find repeated, this has been since... Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius, is that the head of the household, or the parent, or the guardian, they get saved first, and then the rest of the family follows the parent, who remains the spiritual decision maker for the family. The parent remains the spiritual decision maker for the family. Did we hear that? Do you know what I hear again and again today? From parents and guardians today, uh, just so we don't forget this, I'll bring it back later as we get deeper into Acts chapter 16, because this is so vitally important. Um, I hear parents all the time say, we have decided to attend this or that church because sweet Susie and little Johnny really like the entertainment. They have games like we have never seen before. There's so many children and the church has balloons every week. You know, sometimes the ministry leader even dresses up like a clown or like Iron Man or like Wonder Woman. So we attend the church because there are so many activities. Our kids told us they decided to they just like it over there. And unregenerated youth or children who aren't even saved have assumed the role of spiritual decision maker for the household. Good job, Dad. This is not going to end well, America. Second Timothy 3.15 assures Timothy had matured and become useful in ministry as a consequence of his saturation in the sacred writings by mom. And in the very next verse, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be adequate Equipped for every good work. Paul further instructs Timothy for future ministries. This is in 1 Timothy 4.13. Give special attention to the public reading of Scripture. To exhortation and to teaching. Second Timothy 4.2, he tells Timothy, Preach the word. Speak forth God's word clearly. Uh, this is why I don't dress up like Batman. At least before the sun goes down. I'm going to pay for this come VBS. Paul states in verse 3, I want this young man. And he chooses Timothy for service Uh, Therefore, 1 Timothy 4.14 reveals that the board of the local elders there, uh, referred to as the Presbytery Board of Elders, they lay hands on Timothy to ordain, to commission him to the ministry. And he joins up with Paul and Silas, both of whom were also commissioned by their own respective churches because they had good reputations. And verse 4 reveals they moved from church to church throughout Galatia, finishing their essential task there, um, delivering the decrees made by the apostles and elders back in Jerusalem. It was for all the churches to observe. And next they will move into a new region called Macedonia. We will study that passage come next Sunday But the result of Jerusalem's decrees is made manifest in verse 5. The churches are strengthened and they continue growing. We studied these apostolic decrees if you just joined us this week. We studied these two weeks ago. The apostles have determined that all Christians must restrain ourselves from exercising certain liberties for the sake of unity building in the church. Dietary restrictions was one of them. Uh, Don't eat anything gross when you're at the fellowship luncheon. That was two weeks ago. And the resulting improved relationships between Jews and Gentiles in the local church is what has strengthened these local churches. The unity becomes then the reason that they continue to increase in number daily. It's a causal relationship in verse 5. Because the decrees were delivered, the churches were strengthened and kept growing. Eckhart Schnabel, he is a professor at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, he states, quote, Luke's reference to new church growth in verse 5 demonstrates that the solution of the conflict about circumcision... And the Gentiles' obedience to the Mosaic law, which had been reached by the Jerusalem Council, proved to be successful. Congregations in which Jewish believers and Gentiles quarreled about circumcision and obedience to the law will hardly see a strengthening of believers' faith in Jesus and will not be a witness or will not witness the influx of new converts. They say, we can't have this squabbling between the law between Jews and Gentiles over the law so we got our explanation two weeks ago so the quarrels in the circ- about circumcision that had previously troubled these churches in Paul's past letter to the Galatians they're now solved problem solved Previously, Paul had written these churches in Galatians 5, verse 12, saying, quote, I wish that those who are troubling you about circumcision would even mutilate themselves. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Those Judaizers that had prompted the divisions in Galatia have finally been silenced by the decrees delivered by the Jerusalem council. Game over. It's very important to recognize that the spiritual crises described in Paul's letter to the Galatians, uh, they have been specifically addressed and once for all resolved by all the apostles who were all gathered together including the Apostle Paul, at the Jerusalem Council. We recognize this was a unanimous declaration by all the apostles. It said the whole church was of one mind, is what we learned. If we don't recognize this, Paul becomes viewed by some as writing Galatians at some point later, and Paul is sometimes portrayed as going off his, his leash, acting apart from the other 12 apostles. 11, if you count James, has already been martyred. But all the original apostles are on the same page concerning the law, dietary restrictions, and circumcision before Paul and Barnabas and Silas ever head north. Paul doesn't go rogue. He goes delivering the decrees of the apostles. This also, speaking of the Jerusalem council, authoritatively, authoritatively settled this dispute over the law as a last and final decree agreed on upon by all the true apostles who were together. These were apostles who had visibly seen Jesus Christ raised from the dead. They're all on the same page. Paul, of course, 1 Corinthians 15:8 says, "Last of all." What does last mean in Greek? Last. Last of all, Christ Jesus appeared to me also. He was the last apostle that Christ appeared to. So although epistles will continue to be written by different apostles like Peter and Paul, uh, there are no further or future joint apostolic decrees after Acts chapter 15 in Jerusalem. Well, so you want to be really careful out there. There are some very false theological movements in existence today that identify themselves as apostolic restoration movements who claim they have this same apostolic authority today and who make entirely new decrees. You're going to want to steer far clear of anything that promotes itself as newly apostolic. One movement is called the New Apostolic Reformation, which claims to have reinstated apostolic powers, revelations, and authority, and demands full submission to them. Another is the New Apostolic Church, which states that God only forgives sins through one of their apostles. I can provide further resources if you need. Uh, GotQuestions.org has some good articles on them. But it should go without saying, nobody alive today has seen Christ raised, and there are no new apostles after the first century that are making decrees. Don't get roped into it. Huge movements. Huge cult hoaxes going on out there. That last and final decree from the final Jerusalem council confirmed what Paul had already written to the churches in Galatia. Chapter 6, verse 15, that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision are anything. So the Galatian churches are truly thrilled, like the church in Antioch was, to have this issue about circumcision and the Mosaic law put to rest forever and never to be revisited. And the result is that the New Testament church, consisting of Jews and Gentiles together, becomes even more fruitful and unified as it grows. So there remains one final question that you demand to be answered before we close. If circumcision and uncircumcision truly don't mean anything, and they don't, why did the Apostle Paul circumcise Timothy to placate the Jews in the area surrounding Lystra? who knew that Timothy's father was a Greek. Well, this is a conundrum that has continued to baffle churches and theologians for 2,000 years. I read them all. I didn't find any that I liked, the views. So what did I do? I made up my own. No, a wise theologian once told me, he said, uh, he goes, don't think you've ever had any original thoughts. And nothing that you have articulated that somebody, some saint somewhere hasn't said before, but I I couldn't find this. So uh, I have a concise answer. Number one, Since such a circumcision as Timothy's is not repeated nor prescribed anywhere else in Scripture after the Jerusalem Council, do not permit anybody to make a doctrine out of it. We don't craft primary doctrines out of a single isolated text. Instead, the circumcision is due to unique and specific circumstances relating to Timothy, his father, and his relationship with the surrounding Jewish community. These circumstances do not apply to us. Additionally, Timothy's mother Eunice was a Jew who had faithfully taken him to the synagogue there all of his life. Yet it appears his Greek father had not permitted Timothy to be circumcised as an old covenant Jew should have. And for this reason, I would propose the local Jewish population had always marginalized Timothy. There was a stigma that prevented Timothy from being a credible witness to the local Jews concerning Israel's Messiah. So in Acts 16 verse 3, Paul took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. These were clearly unbelieving Jews in the area Timothy grew up, and they all knew who he was because he had been attending their synagogue all his life with his mother and grandmother. These Jews probably all said something like this. Yeah, we, we know little Timmy pretty well. Sad thing who throughout all his life truly never became one like us. It is likely then that Timothy's situation was explained to Paul, uh, along with his personal barrier to witnessing to the Jews who were in that area. And I think Paul said something to Timothy may have gone like this. You know, Timothy... We have the decrees from Jerusalem. Circumcision, uncircumcision, it isn't anything. But you have been permanently marked by the Jews you are trying to reach with this stigma. How about we just take care of this barrier right now? Let's just take it off the table. Remove it from their conversation. And following the formal decrees issued by Jerusalem, uh, it isn't going to matter to the Jews or Gentiles who are already in that church. They've gotten the news already. Paul will explain to the local church why they are doing it, and all will understand it is for the advancement of the gospel. And the Jews who know Timothy will no longer be able to use it as a point of contention gone and we saw the theological explanation earlier during our scripture reading in first corinthians 9 there josh read to you earlier how paul wrote to the jews i became as a jew so that i might win jews to those who are under the law as under the law though not being myself under the law so that I might win those who are under the law. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. And I think, you can disagree, obviously, I think Paul here makes maximum use of, of true liberty in Christ. Timothy, we don't have to do this, but we will. And the circumcision that we would do, young Timothy, if you agree, won't mean anything, but it will be entirely for the sake of the progress of the gospel. Does Timothy prove to be like-minded with Paul? For the sake of the Jew, will Timothy become like a Jew? We all know he will. Paul writes in Philippians 2 verse 20, I have no one else like him with a kindred spirit. The Greek term kindred spirit describes someone who is perfectly like-minded, means equal in soul. We're the same. And Paul continues to tell that church in Philippi, And you know of Timothy's proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. And Paul embraces Timothy, saying, Timothy, you know your birth father? He always refused or failed to follow through with what he should have done as a father. But I will now circumcise you for the sake of the gospel. And in submission to Christ, I will become like a father to you and you will become like a son to me. Last week we heard Paul say to Timothy in opening his letter, like my own son. As we close and as Timothy pondered this, Minor surgery performed by a skilled Pharisee who'd probably done hundreds of them. And as Timothy thought, where was Timothy raised? What town? Lystra. And as Timothy thought this over, for the reach of the gospel, he was probably thinking back to Paul's first missionary journey to Lystra. And to where as Paul proclaimed the gospel, they drug him out of the city and stoned him and left him for dead. And it is highly likely, I'd say almost a certainty. that young Timothy was watching as Paul the Apostle was stoned for the name of Christ. He would do that. He would give his life for the gospel. Will I allow myself to submit to a small surgery by comparison for the advancement of God's kingdom? And for the glory of his Son. Yeah, I can do that. How far will we go? Let's pray, Father as we see the sacrifices that men and women made on the pages of Scripture, as they gave their life, their time, their resources, their talent, all to advance the kingdom of your Son. And these examples, even hard choices, we encounter many of these throughout our life We pray for strength to be wise and discerning and be willing to give up a little, to sacrifice, even endure some pain for that which glorifies you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.